Chapter 6. The Life of George Washington, in words of one syllable, by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington, in words of one syllable, by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 6. Colonel of Virginia Troops. The troops in Virginia were left without a head. There was no one to lead them out to war, and if this fact came to the ears of the French, they would be more bold. Washington's friends urged him to ask for the place, but this would not do. His brother wrote him thus, Our hopes rest on you, dear George. You are the man for the place. All are loud in your praise. But Washington was firm. He wrote back and told in plain words all that he had borne, and how he had been served for the past two years. I love my land, he said, and shall be glad to serve it, but not on the same terms that I have done so. His mother begged him not to risk his life in these wars. He wrote her that he should do all that he could to keep out of harm's way, but if he should have a call to drive the foes from the land of his birth, he would have to go. And this, he was sure, would give her much more pride than if he were to stay at home. On the same day, August 13th, that this note was sent, Word came to Washington that he had been made chief of all troops in Virginia, and the next month he went to Winchester to stay. Here he found much to do. There was need of more troops, and it was hard work to get them. Forts had to be built, and he drew up a plan of his own and set his men to work it out, and went out from time to time to see how they got on with it. He rode off thus at the risk of his life, for red men lay in wait for scalps and were fierce to do deeds of blood. The stir of war put new life into the veins of old Lord Fairfax. He got up a troop of horse and put them through a drill on the lawn at Greenway Court. He was fond of the chase and knew how to run the sly fox to the ground. The red man was a sort of fox and Fairfax was keen for the chase and now and then would mount his steed and call on George Washington who was glad to have his kind friend so near. In a short time he had need of his aid for word came from the fort at Will's Creek that a band of redmen were on the warpath with firebrands and knives, and were then on their way to Winchester. A man on a fleet horse was sent post-haste to Washington, who had been called to Williamsburg, the chief town. In the meantime, Lord Fairfax sent word to all the troops near his home to arm and haste to the aid of Winchester. Those on farms flocked to the towns, where they thought they would be safe and the town folk fled to the west side of the Blue Ridge. In the height of this stir, Washington rode into town, and the sight of him did much to quell their fears. He thought that there were but a few redskins who had caused this great scare, and it was his wish to take the field at once and go out and put them to flight. But he could get but a few men to go with him. The rest of the town's troops would not stir. All the old firearms that were in the place were brought out, and Smith set to work to scour off the rust and make them fit for use. Caps, such as are now used on guns, were not known in those days. Flintstones took their place. One of these was put into the lock, so that when it struck a piece of steel, it would flash fire, and the spark would set off the gun. These were called flintlock guns. Such a thing as a match had not been thought of, and flintstones were made use of to light all fires. Carts were sent off for balls and flints and for food with which to feed all those who had flocked to Winchester. The tribes of red men that had once served with Washington 
were now on good terms with the French. One of their chiefs, named Jacob, laughed at forts that were built of wood, and made his boast that no fort was safe from him if it would catch fire. The town where these red men dwelt was two score miles from Fort Duquesne, and a band of brave white men with George Armstrong and Hugh Mercer at their head set out from Winchester to put them to rout. At the end of a long march they came at night on the red men's stronghold and took them off their guard. The red men, led by the fierce chief Jacob, who chose to die ere he would yield, made a strong fight. But in the end most of them were killed, their huts were set on fire, and the brave stronghold was a stronghold no more. In the meantime Washington had left Winchester and gone to Fort Cumberland on Wills Creek. Here he kept his men at work on the new roads and old ones. Some were sent out as scouts. Brigadier General Forbes, who was in charge of the whole force, was on his way from Philadelphia, but his march was a slow one, as he was not in good health. The plan was when he came to move on the French fort. The work that was to have been done north of the fort by Lord Loudon hung fire. It was felt that he was not the right man for the place, and so his lordship was sent back to England. Major General Abercrombie then took charge of the king's troops at the north. These were to charge on Crown Point. Major General Amherst, with a large force of men, was with the fleet of Admiral Boscawen that set sail from Halifax the last of May. These were to lay siege to Louisburg and the Isle of Cape Breton, which is at the mouth of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Forbes was to move on Fort Duquesne, and was much too slow to suit Washington, who was in haste to start. His men had worn out their old clothes and were in great need of new ones which they could not get for some time. He liked the dress the red men wore. It was light and cool, and what had to be thought of most, it was cheap. Washington had some of his men put on this dress, and it took well, and has since been worn by those who roam the woods and plains of our great land. I will not tell you of all that took place near the Great Lakes at this time, as I wish to keep your mind on George Washington. The schemes laid out by General Forbes did not please Washington, who urged a prompt march on the fort, while the roads were good. He wrote to Major Halkett, who had been with Braddock, and was now on Forbes' staff. I find him fixed to lead a new way to the Ohio, through a road each inch of which must be cut where we have scarce time left to tread the old track, which is known by all to be the best path through the hills. He made it plain that if they went that new way all would be lost, and they would be waylaid by the redskins and meet with all sorts of ills. But no heed was paid to his words, and the warm days came to an end. Six weeks were spent in hard work on the new road, with a gain of less than threescore miles, when the whole force might have been in front of the French fort had they marched by the old road as Washington had urged. At a place known as Loyal Hannon, the troops were brought to a halt, as Forbes thought this was a good place to build a fort. Some men in charge of Major Grant went forth as scouts. At dusk they drew near a fort, and set fire to a log house near its walls. This was a rash thing to do, as it let the French know just where they were. But not a gun was fired from the fort. This the king's troops took for a sign of fear, and were bold and proud and quite sure that they would win the day. So Braddock had thought, and we know his fate. At length, when Forbes and his men were off their guard, the French made a dash from the fort and poured their fire on the king's troops. On their right and left flanks fell a storm of shot from the redskins, 
who had hid back of trees, rocks, and shrubs. The king's troops were then brought up in line, and for a while stood firm and fought for their lives. But they were no match for the Redskins, whose fierce yells made the blood run chill. Major Lewis fought hand to hand with a brave whom he lay dead at his feet. Redskins came up at once to take the white man's scalp, and there was but one way in which he could save his life. This was to give himself up to the French, which both he and Major Grant were forced to do, as their troops had been put to rout with a great loss. Washington won much praise for the way in which the Virginia troops had fought, and he was once put in charge of a large force, who were to lead the van, serve as scouts, and do their best to drive back the Redskins, work that called for the best skill and nerve. It was late in the fall of the year when the King's troops all met Loyal Hannon, and so much had to be done to clear the roads. That snow would be on the ground ere they could reach the fort. But from those of the French they had seized in the late fight, they found out that there were but a few troops in the fort, that food was scarce, and the Redskins false to their trust. This led hope to the King's troops, who made up their minds to push on. They took up their march at once, with no tents or stores, and but few large guns. Washington rode at the head. It was a sad march, for the ground was strewn with the bones of those who had fought with Grant and with Braddock, and had been slain by the foe, or died of their wounds. At length the troops drew near the fort, and made their way up to it with great care, for they thought the French would be in wait for them, and that there would be a fierce fight. But the French had had such bad luck in Canada that they had lost heart, and those in the fort were left to take care of themselves. So when the English were one day's march from the fort, the French stole out at night, got into boats, set the fort on fire, and went down the Ohio by the light of the flames. So the fort, which had been the cause of so much bloodshed, fell at last without a blow, and on November 25, 1758, Washington, with his vanguard, marched in and placed the British flag on the wreck of the once proud stronghold, the name of which was changed to Fort Pitt. The French gave up all claim to the Ohio from that time. The Redskins were quick to make friends with those who held sway, and there was peace, with all but the tribes twixt the Ohio and the lakes. Washington had made up his mind to leave the field when this war came to an end, and in December of that same year he bade his troops goodbye. He had been with them for five years in a hard school, and the strain on his mind had been so great that he lost his health and felt that he could war no more. End of chapter 6